Okay. Okay. I believe I believe I'm streaming. Wynikis, please, please tell me that I'm streaming. Everyone here, hello. I am Optimus Fields, and this is Bitcoin Kindergarten. We're going to have a really cool episode for you guys tonight. As you can see in the title, it is What is Web 5? Let's go. Okay, apparently I'm streaming. We are live in this. Let's go. All right, so I got some new gear, guys, hence the technical difficulties, but I think we might have just eliminated those technical difficulties and we're going to give you guys the best sound. But before I get into all that, we are at block height 741,919, all-time high in blocks. Moscow time is 4,902 sats per dollar. Amazing, amazing. Cheap, cheap sats out there. The Bitcoin price in fiat cuck bucks is 20400 And of course, of course, I am here with my friend and co-host, Wynikus. How are you doing today, bro? What's good? How's it been? Uh-oh, it's a soundboard off. It's been pretty damn real. It's pretty good to be alive. Let's go. Let's go. Yeah, Wine. did we cover last week of your... Your little spiritual moment, your your little moment of death that you almost uh, drowned. I don't know if we covered that, bro. I think it's a. I think we can cover that, bro. I think that's part of of the range of what we do here. This show is not about me, but that's yeah, true. kind of, kind of almost died. Um, got saved by some lifeguards and a current. He's very grateful now. And life is still pretty awesome. I, I don't know. It didn't change anything. I just Let's I just go. have a lot more food to try. So that's why <laughs> I'm happy about it. All right. Well, before we get too far into social hour, we're here with our friend and very smart dev guy. I don't know what you do, Laron. He's He says a lot of things and he, he's smarter than I am, but he works any tinkers and that's why we brought him in because he's cool af guys laurent say what's up to the people maybe i guess what's maybe up, introduce your creds bro who are you what do you do why do they listen to you so what um, gang are you part of my name is Liron. i'm part of pleb gang obviously um i'm a developer i'm just a full stack you know developer i've been doing this for quite a while i do tinker with some bitcoin stuff but i'm not specifically a bitcoin dev i've never done anything for bitcoin core but i do play around with a lot of other uh bitcoin related things and i'm currently building um some stuff around this whole web 5 thing so that's why i'm here to talk about it let's go let's go well we had a very very big request by our friend walton and he's question is what is web five why like where did uh where's web one where's web two where's web three where's web four what where where is this coming from Leron? what is web five so i actually really hate the whole like web numbering situation and i think web five is kind of a troll on that but web one is like you know it was like the beginning of the web where you're just going to, to websites and reading stuff that just, you know, academics posted. Web 2 was supposed to be where you are reading and writing to the web. So there's all this, like, social media stuff that we have and, you know, being able to uh, write on forums and all that stuff. That's technically considered Web 2, I guess. Um, web 3, as we all know, is the shitcoin or grift, where it's like they try to sell you NFTs and tokens and try to make you pay 
or make money supposedly off of doing things on the web, which is all bullshit. Um, web 4 just died of embarrassment of Web 3, so it never even made it into anything. That's that's kind of how I look at it. And Web 5 is what kind of Web 3 was actually supposed to be, where the user gets to own their data, control their data, control their digital identity, and everything that is around that. So that's kind of uh, the gist of what Web 5 is and all the other numbers. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, man. All right. So I guess the reason we brought this up is because of the big announcement of Jack Dorsey talking about Web5 and, and all the things that uh, it's TBD, right? And a bunch of numbers on Twitter that they're doing. And so what's your thoughts on what they're building out as a company? And then we'll get into what you're doing personally and, and into like the DID and the ION and all that stuff, because I know that's what you're into. Yeah, so TBD is a business unit of, of Block, and they're pretty much tasked with researching these various um, decentralized web technologies to help kind of bring that to the forefront and put some money behind it so that um, other people could also use it. I mean, obviously, they're, I believe one of their main focuses about it is going to be dealing with financial stuff, uh, but the stuff that they are building that we're you know all building towards just really benefits this idea of a more decentralized web. So that's that's kind of what they're doing. And their their core technologies are open technologies that they, they don't own, they just contribute to. Uh, most of them are a part of what's known as the Decentralized Identity Foundation, which is a you know non-for-profit kind of working group with developers that try to develop uh, specs and open software around uh, anything that has to do with decentralized identity. Awesome, man. It sounds like they're doing some really cool things. Uh, Laurent, don't take this the wrong way, but when I hear decentralized web, it sounds to me like buzzwords. Am I, am I just being paranoid or is that a fair assessment until I look into actually what's going on? Cause I, I, to be honest, I haven't really, hence why we're bringing you in. Cause I know you'll break it down for us. So, I mean, you're, you're not wrong, actually, because it is kind of a buzzword and it's it's but it makes sense because the web in itself is decentralized to an extent. Um, it always has been. But we and, you know, have given the power to some of these corporations to centralize it further. So the web is still mostly decentralized. It's just that these web applications that we use, they are all centralized. Like we are all on Twitter. Our identities on Twitter don't belong to us. They belong to Twitter. We've seen that throughout our community a bunch of times where we get censored and, and, and uh, you know, banned and put on suspension or whatever, you know, they're in control of our digital identities. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, same thing. Um, Twitter has this a little bit less, but the other social networks obviously have these like algorithms that only push to you what they want you to see. You know, on Twitter, at least we get a chronological um, format that we can go by. But on some of these other platforms, they don't even give you that. Like you could follow a thousand people, but you're only going to see something from like a hundred people that they deem is what they want you to see and what they want to push engagement around. So that's kind of, you know, how the web has centralized. And these projects that are trying to do decentralized web stuff are trying to, to break that up and make it so that we as the users have more control of our digital well-being rather than these centralized entities. 
Interesting. Um, this may be a naive question, but does it? This seems to me that is it going to be complicated for people to, I guess, like maintain or wrap their heads around all the data that they might need to like corral on these Web five applications? Like, if did that question make sense? Yeah, that made sense, and um, I think that's a fair question, and that's that's exactly what we're working on to make easier. Uh, there are some parts that are still a little bit difficult with UX, and that's why we don't see this stuff just proliferated everywhere. But the idea, uh, especially behind the stuff that TBD is doing and what I'm working on, is that you can have service providers that are able to kind of make managing this stuff a lot easier, but you are still in, in, in ultimate control. So you can move from service provider to service provider, um, and that could be done seamlessly without the service provider even being aware of that, um, as well as, you know, having all of your data backed up to your own personal kind of device. Um, but there are still some, you know, user experience hurdles that we're actively working on. And, and that's why it's going to take some time before you actually see um, applications built around this paradigm. Awesome. Well interested to see what comes of this so let's get into what you're into dude so you're into more of the decentralized identity right dids and and ion so explain this to me bro yeah well so before we get into that i want to kind of um just make people aware of what block is working on and what you know the whole web five is awesome. so it's separated into uh mainly three standards three components one of those standards is DIDs, decentralized identifiers. Block and myself are both focused on a specific DID method called ION, and I'll get into that in a moment. Um, the other aspect of this is called verifiable credentials. This is something where one entity can sign and verify that another entity is something. So the easiest example for this is, you know, if um, your state that you live in had a DID and you have a DID, they can sign a verifiable credential that you're allowed to drive. You have a driver's license. So they can sign this, they can revoke it, but you can show people a proof of this if you ever need to, all digitally. So that's what verifiable credentials are. And then the third component is called what we call decentralized web node or D-web nodes. Um, so these are your personal data stores. This is where any of these decentralized web applications can store data for you and query data, and you can share your data and grant permissions to other applications or other users. So those are the three base components of what is known as Web5. Um, and these are standards. Uh, two of them are W3C standards. Uh, that is the standards body that does a lot of the web stuff that we have. And then... The decentralized web node is currently um, under the decentralized identity foundation working group. So yeah, that's pretty much the core of what web five is and what I'm working on and what they're working on. We can get a little bit more into like what ion is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. Um, just, you can correct me, but I'm, I have this just thought in my, is this just like PGP keys on steroids? Yeah, kind of. It, it, it is. So, you know, PGP keys have the problem of, well, A, you have, you know, typically just one PGP key. So you have to copy that key between devices or something like that if you want. Or you just let people know, hey, I'm a, I'm, I'm multiple PGP keys. But the other problem that PGP has is that 
you have to go out of band, out of the PGP system to tell people what your PGP keys are. So what we see like on Twitter is some people put their PGP keys in their in their Twitter profile. But if Twitter blocks them and gets rid of them, and then they have to update their PGP key, it's like they have to look for all these people to notify them again. Like, hey, this is my new PGP key, or these are my other PGP keys. And uh, yeah, that's a difficult problem, and that's what these... Um, various DID methods try to accomplish. What they do is the decentralized identifier document has an array of public keys. So these are like your PGP keys. They are keys that you can sign stuff with, but you look up these, you know, these public keys with a identifier that does not change. So it's kind of like a, imagine like a phone number that you own and then anyone can query that phone number and get a list of your public keys that you sign various things with. Uh, I don't know if I got a little too nerdy there. If you have any questions on that, interesting. I can, you know, uh, I I could I followed along. I don't know if I if I have questions yet, but maybe in a minute we can get some people in the audience again, guys. We will bring you up. Uh, we'll, we're going to get through some of this, and then you guys can ask some questions. But all right, Leron, did you did you flush out Web five enough to jump into what you're most interested in, and then we can uh, open up the the Q and A for people. Yeah. So one of the things that I'm working on currently, so I am interested in all of the three um, avenues, all the three uh, um, components of Web five. But the one that I'm currently just most focused on and building around is uh, something called ION. Um, more specifically, the, the uh, protocol behind ION is something called SciTree. So what this does is allows you to build these decentralized identifier documents based on anchoring to some sort of blockchain. ION specifically anchors to the Bitcoin blockchain, but SciTree could really use any sort of ordering oracle that you can anchor hashes to. So it doesn't even have to be a blockchain. It could be anything that just by yourself, you can figure out an order of some sort of hashes that someone published to, which a blockchain does this very well. So ION is a method that allows you to anchor um, identifier operations to the blockchain to eventually build this document. So what do I mean by identifier operations? Um, let's say you get a new phone and you generate a new key on that phone because, you know, we, we know that, you know, Typing private keys between devices is unsafe. Someone can can pick that up. So you want to keep your private key in the place that you generated it usually. So you get a new phone, you generate a new private key, but you want to add that public key to your identifier. So you create this sort of uh, transaction, sort of document. You pin the document data to something called IPFS, and then you take that IPFS address and you pin that to the Bitcoin blockchain. And what happens is, if someone else independently can crawl the Bitcoin blockchain, look for these types of signatures and outputs, and then they can build up a state of what your most current DID or anyone's DID document is. So, you know, you could add keys, you can remove keys from your document. You could also add what's known as service endpoints and remove service endpoints. And we'll get into service endpoints in a little bit. Um, but that's effectively what you're doing. Now, each one of these transactions that you're pinning to the Bitcoin blockchain can actually contain up to 10,000 batched operations. So you can have a service provider that, you know, batches a bunch of these into one transaction. So that way it doesn't bloat the blockchain 
too much and you can it, it becomes more efficient that way you also wouldn't have to pay the full fee you know in the future when the blockchain and the mempool is really full you know these might get a little bit expensive you wouldn't have to pay the full fee but if all of these service providers decide that they want to censor you and they say no we don't want to update liron service endpoints and liron's keys you can still independently create this update transaction and just pin it yourself to the Bitcoin. You're gonna you're gonna pay that fee. You're gonna do this yourself, but no one can censor you, and that's kind of the the root behind Ion. Interesting. So, it, this anchoring it, it's using Bitcoin payments for the censorship resistance aspect of it. Uh, like I'm still kind of confused, and it's just like yeah. embedding data, but it's a transaction. Yeah, so Bitcoin has something called op return. Okay, so um, it's just an op code. Yeah, it's just an op return okay. with a specific signature. So it's op return, and then you have ion, colon, and then you have the number of operations, period, and the IPFS address and hash. And I'll get into IPFS now if you want got to it. a little bit. Yeah, go, go wherever you want to go, bro. Whatever you think so, is going to help people understand the best. So IPFS is a protocol for content addressable storage, which means it's very similar to, to almost like how BitTorrent works. But instead of BitTorrent having like a magnet link or something like that, your file gets hashed and that hash is the actual address of it. So if you ever change the file, the address of the file changes. But you do something similar where, you know, in, in BitTorrent, you would quote unquote seed data so in IPFS, they call it pinning. So if you take your file, you get the hash of it, and then you pin it to the IPFS network, someone else can connect to the IPFS peer-to-peer -peer network and request that same address, and it'll find its way to where you're serving it and serve it back up to them. So that way, you know, these documents that we create with these uh, update operations, they are addressed by their content. So, you know, I create this 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 uh, this update operation document, and I hash it with a specific hashing algorithm, and that becomes its IPFS address. So that is what goes into the Bitcoin blockchain, and then the ION system can crawl the blockchain, pick these up based on that signature that I was saying, and then reach out to the IPFS network to pull these files. Ooh. Yeah, that's, uh, that's above my pay grade, but... I'm glad you're here to try to explain this to me. <laughs> awesome. Wine, you got some thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, I just want to bring it back to the left bell curve side of things and kind of get a little more handheld on these things. So questions I have is basically, how does this change how we interact with the internet? Like, are there any new hardware or software requirements for the everyday person to interact in this way? There's definitely new software requirements. Um, hardware requirements are to be determined because there are things within the system like recovery keys and update keys and things like that that you keep private in case. So, you know, I have some some ideas around this that are not fully tested that I'm working on, like using something like a YubiKey, which is just a little, you know, USB-looking NFC uh, type of key to be able to sign, like, for recovery. So you can keep that in your safe, and then your phone can do, you know, your updates for you when you need to, or your main device does your updates for you. So that's the, like, software hardware part. 
But as far as like how users would use it, I want to give like a really, really simple, this isn't exactly, this isn't actually what's going to happen. No one's going to create this type of software, but I want to give an example of how this is, this is powerful. So like I mentioned, your DID document also has something called service endpoints. So we all know we like email is a really good example. So we all have, you know, we use email. You're on Gmail, I'm on, you know, Hotmail, he's on this, whatever. Everyone has their own email provider that they use, but we can all talk to each other. So that's great. That's that's kind of what I was saying before, where the web's always been decentralized, so to speak, but we just decided to all have Gmail addresses. But that's a different story. So I have this like Gmail address or whatever. Um, if I ever want to change that address, I have two options. I have to either keep that address actually and not change it and have it forward to my new email address or I have to like find all my 27,000 friends and tell them, hey guys, this is my new email address. Stop emailing the old one. Email my new one, which is annoying. So in a DID world, the message that you're sending, the email that you're sending is not actually sent to an email address. You're sending it to the identifier that stays the same. And every time your email client wants to send out a new email to to you know, let's say I'm sending out something to Wynicus, um, the email client will look up its, his latest DID, search through the service endpoints for an email service endpoint, and email that one. So if Wynicus ever wants to change his email addresses, he just updates his email uh, service endpoint to his new email address, and my client doesn't really know any better because I'm still emailing Wynicus's identifier. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah. It seems like we can eliminate email altogether. Yeah, that's why it's kind of a dumb example, but it's something to kind of just, you know, it's it brings it home to people because I know that many people have had to go through that as far as like changing their email address and telling everybody, hey, this is my new email address. So it's a really easy thing to digest. Another thing that um, that Daniel Buckner, which is one of the guys that works on this, he gives this as an example to people is um, I know we all remember all those, you know, uh, you know, Pirate Bay websites and stuff like that that we used to go to, and their domain used to change every couple of weeks because they'd get taken down. So in this case, you wouldn't have to Google or go ask around, like, what's the new Pirate Bay domain? You would just use the Pirate Bay's identifier, and in reality, instead of it being, you know, a regular web domain, it would be, you know, an endpoint to an Onion address, a Tor address or something like that that's a little bit harder to censor. Um, but that's kind of the idea. You get to keep this identifier. You are in full control of this identifier. No one can censor you, but you're able to update it. And you're able, other people are able to see those updates and then, you know, either sign stuff or encrypt stuff to your new public keys that you've added there or send data to your new endpoints that you want them to go to. So it seems like the advantage is are really on the individual level here because they're more so in control of their data. But how much pushback will we be getting from these centralized services that are harvesting all our data to begin with? Like, how do you know they're going to want to interact with this type of a protocol? So it really depends. Some of them will absolutely not want to. Like you said, some of them really just want to harvest our data. But there are, you know, as we've seen on websites and all these things, there's these GDPR laws and cookies laws and California has their own data law. And all these different places have these laws now where they have to get your consent in order to do anything with your data. So a lot of these companies today, if their business is not specifically harvesting and selling your data, which there are still a lot of companies that do a lot of stuff on the web, 
that that's not their business, you know, they don't want to store your data. They just want to be able to have access to it when they need it. And through these types of protocols, you can grant them access to it when they need it. And a lot of the stuff, so this goes into the DWN, decentralized web node stuff, that is built in a very like interoperable way so that, you know, these different applications, they don't have to always be fully built on a DWN, but they can reach out to DWNs to get specific pieces of data. So for example, I heard someone talking about this in one of the uh, one of the the talks that we did, um, one of the chats that we do sometimes. So they mentioned like, let's say you go to a hotel, and this hotel wants to cater your experience to you um, in any way that it can. So you know your favorite music plays when you go into the room, um, whatever whatever they can try to kind of do. But that hotel doesn't really care about your data. It doesn't want, that's not their business. Their business is giving you the best experience that you possibly can get. They don't want to handle your data. They don't want to store it. They don't want to be responsible for it. So their app can still be a completely centralized, regular app that is used, you know, that's built the, the traditional way. But it can have these components where it reaches out to your DWN and gets your playlist because you've authorized it permission to do that. So today you see this with things like, you know, people tap into like Spotify is API, but then that means you have to have a Spotify account for this to work. So DWN will make this a lot more interoperable where there's just going to be a playlist schema that people understand. Like, I don't know if you guys are familiar with something called schemas.org. So that's a place where a lot of common schemas, common data structures for things that are used around the web our, our, hose, our house. So they have a music playlist schema on schema.org. So a lot of these different companies are going to build things that reach out to DWNs and query for uh, music playlists in order to be able to get the user's music playlist. So that's one side of it. Now, the other side of it is let's say there are companies that do want to monetize your data. So this gives them something a little bit different and maybe also, you know, cures them of some liability and things like that where they can actually request your data that they will sell and maybe even pay you for. You know, so someone could eventually build something where they're like, hey, do you want to share your, your purchases that you've made or your this and that so that we can, you know, advertise things to you or so that whatever it may be or surveys or, you know, they have all these things that people do on the web all the time. Some of these surveys actually do pay you, but instead of them actually storing all this data or trying to gather it themselves in a very, you know, uh, non-transparent way to the user, the user can actually grant them permissions to certain subsets of data that is housed on their node. And then they can revoke those permissions as well. Now, I want to make something clear because I really hate when people do this. Just the reality of data is if you've ever given someone permission to, to your data, even if you can revoke new access to that data, if they've already read it, they could already, they already have. So, you know, this is kind of like goes back to like the Snapchat, um, the Snapchat stuff where it's like, yeah, your message disappeared, but if someone took a screenshot or they just took a picture of it with another phone, they still have your picture. So it's just something that I like to, to educate users about. There's no ever any type of thing is like disappearing messages that are actually gone. Once you've let someone get access to a specific piece of data, you should just assume that they can access it later again, even if you revoked it. Amazing. Yeah, you got more? Definitely got some more questions. Um, I want to know 
where Bitcoin comes into the picture. I know you mentioned ION specifically, but how does Web5 tie into Bitcoin and or Lightning? So that's kind of the beauty of it is that it mostly doesn't beyond the ION thing. And now the, the DWN standard is compatible with any DID method. It doesn't just have to be ION. It's just that Jack and myself and others believe that ION is is the best DID network because you can't be censored. You know, whereas there are some other DID methods that are, you know, very specific to, to identity, uh, like, like identity blockchains, quote unquote. And that's run very similar to like how Liquid is run, where it's like a federation. So they're like, well, it's decentralized because it's a federation. But let's be real, a federation can censor you if they really want to. So that's why a lot of the, the base, the root is built on this DID ion which is using Bitcoin. Now, as far as payments goes, there's a, there's a company, I think a, a, some of you are aware of it, called Imper Impervious AI. They have this thing called Impervious Browser that they're still developing. They, I think they released a, a beta or an alpha or something like that, a dev alpha recently. But they are building on Didion as well. And they're doing something interesting where one of the service endpoints that they're letting you set is the LNURL service endpoint. So that you, your identity, people can know how to pay you through just this thing. And you can update that if it ever changes independently. So you can make some interesting things like that as far as, you know, where to send payments and how to send payments and things like that. You can almost give instructions of how each individual receives payments through their DID uh, document. So that's kind of another place where Lightning can fit in. Um, another place that I see Lightning and Bitcoin fit in is just, you know, micropayments. So like I mentioned before, you could have these um, these uh, service providers that batch all of these identity inf uh, data whenever you make an update. So you make an update, you sign it because you're still the one in charge of it. But you, you send that signed document over to this service provider and maybe you'll pay them a few sets um, instead of paying the full transaction fee and, and, you know, putting it into the blockchain yourself. You can pay them. For doing this for you and batching you up with you know thousands of other um, identity uh, updates, so that's another place that I see it. And you know the DWNs. So the cool thing about the decentralized web node where the data is stored, so the data is fully encrypted. The only people who have the keys to decrypt it are your your edge devices. So your phone has a light version of this this decentralized web node that is able to encrypt and decrypt data and grant permissions and encrypt data for specific people to view. And then it shoots this information to a cloud provider that's able to just serve this. So your phone doesn't have to be online 24-7. I know we're used to having like Raspberry Pis at home, but remember if you want your, your, Raspberry, your, your Bitcoin node to be accessible from the web, you either have to use Tor, which a lot of us use, so that we don't have to open up ports, or you have to open up, you know, a port for something like this. So instead of having to manage everything from your home and, you know, if your home internet goes down or something like that, people can't then access your data or can't send you messages and things like that, you would have one of these DWNs sitting in the cloud, but it's really just a dumb relay. It doesn't have access to any of that information. It just stores it for you and serves it up to people that do have access and can decrypt it. Um, so you might pay for that. Through Lightning, maybe on you know uh, uh, on a per byte uh, type of of, um, of situation. You know this again. This is all new, so there's there haven't been too many business plans developed on top of it yet. 
but these are some ideas that some of the folks have about it. So I know you say this is all new and it seems exciting, especially for people that are thinking on the individual level, but what kind of timeline are we looking at here? If you had to guess, I know we really don't know where this is going to go, but like how, how long do you think it'll take for the everyday person to start or at least early adopters and then the everyday person to start interacting with this? So you can interact with Ion today, actually Microsoft. So Ion's ideation started at Microsoft and Microsoft has um, their cloud uh, product is called Azure um, and they have Ion integrated into Azure. Now it's, it's in a preview mode, so you have to kind of go in and turn it on if you want, but you could already create these identities with Microsoft and some people already do that, and they're they're building out a verifiable credentials platform. They're really targeting it towards like universities and things like that to issue degrees and, and such credentials through it. So I think we're going to start seeing that, you know, within the next year or so. Um, there are actually some government bodies that are looking to issue green cards and things like that on these systems. Uh, so we're going to start seeing that as well. Now, Block has an implementation, a reference implementation of the centralized web node that they're hoping to launch just the, the very, very first version of sometime in late September. So around that time, devs are going to be able to start booting this up and start writing some stuff to it. So, I mean, but it, realistically for, for even early adopters, I don't see much being released for the next like year and a half to two years before you start seeing it, you know, for the very, very early adopters. It's still very new. Um, and there's a lot of research to be done to make sure that it works well, as well as user experience. We want to make sure it's easy and it's not just for the nerds. How long have you been working on uh, DIDs or Web5, quote unquote? So, I mean, I've been interested in it for quite some time. I think that I discovered Ion about two and a half years ago, something like that. At the time, it was not finished. It was just running on testnet and there did not have all the operations working. Um, and I think they launched on mainnet about a year ago. Don't quote me on that. Um, I have been full-time kind of researching this for about four months. Um, so before this, I, I was working at just a um, uh, web agency, web digital agency. We make web applications and backend systems for a bunch of big companies. Um, and about four months ago, I decided, you know what, I really want to go full time. I actually decided longer than four months ago, but it took a while to scale back my work at my full time job in order to be able to kind of focus on this. So for the past three, four months, I've been uh, more full time focused on this and I've been rewriting the ION implementation and the SideTree uh, SDK in a language called Go. Right now, what Microsoft has is written in Node.js. And I, they, I don't like some of the things that are, some of the, the architecture around it. I want to make it a lot easier for developers to include. I want to make it mobile friendly. So there are some things that, you know, those are some things that I've been working on. So I've been more focused on SideTree and ION these past few months, but I've also been working on de decentralized web nodes with the guys at Block and everything, um, the, the Decentralized Identity Foundation, we meet every two weeks and we talk about the outstanding things that the protocol doesn't support yet. So it's still an unfinished protocol and we meet every two weeks and we kind of discuss 
what it's missing, how maybe we can do it. A lot of times, you know, we have a discussion and we come up with some solutions, but we're like, all right, we got to think about these solutions for the next two weeks before we finalize them. Let's take some time and, you know, everyone individually do some research and then come back and make sure that we made the right decision. So it's a slow process, but it's an open process. Any developers can join the Identity Foundation. If you already work for a company, um, it does cost money. Uh, but if you are an individual contributor, you can join for free. So if you work for a company, it depends on how many people are in that company. You have to get your company to join. Because what it is, is they, they make you sign an IP release when you join that says anything that you contribute to these specs. Now, you can listen and not contribute anything, and then you don't owe them anything. But if you during these talks you're contributing ideas, these ideas have to be free of any IP. So no one can, you know, go and patent this stuff and then sue other developers that are trying to use it. Uh, the Decentralized Identity Foundation will actually protect um, developers that are developing around this stuff uh, in order to make sure that, you know, like let's say Apple has some uh, patents around identity and digital identity and things like that, and they try to go after some of these developers. Um, the DIF, which includes Microsoft, who has a ton of patents in this uh, arena because they've been doing digital identity for as long as, you know, computing has, or personal computing has pretty much been around. Um, they have committed to, like, protecting this, this you know, IP-free type of uh, stuff. So anyone can join and, uh, yeah, and, and contribute. Awesome. Sounds amazing. Guys... Of course, you are part of the show, so we do have someone up here that wants to ask some questions or comments. You guys can come up and ask some questions. Wine, do you have any more questions before we open up the floor? Open it. Open it. All right, vacuum. Vacuum, do you have a comment or question for Laron? Going once. No. Oh, there. I don't have a question for the one. I, I I'm gonna tell you what the fuck Web Five is, okay? You know the Sunday morning. You know, first of all, shout out to Winekus, my fellow meme tard. Hello, hello, boy. How you doing, man? Hi. Okay, so let me tell you what what Web Five is, okay? You know, in the Sunday morning, when you start cleaning up the house and you start the vacuum. And the vacuum is taking all the dust from the week, and it is getting all the way in the bottom of the bag. You know, you know, you know how it works. Well, this is what Web Five is gonna do with your money. It's gonna suck all your fucking money and put it in, a, in at the bottom of a bag, and you're never gonna see it again. Okay. So don't put any money on Web Five. Listen to vacuum cleaner Bitcoiner. Keep your money in Bitcoin and don't invest anything at all in Web5, okay? That's it. That's it for today. Bye-bye. Well, that, that's actually <laughs> the beauty of Web5 versus Web3 is there are no tokens. There's no fruit tokens. There's no NFTs. There's none of that nonsense. You get to keep your money. We don't want you to, to put your money into this shitty vacuum that we call Web3. Uh, that really does suck all your money and promise you riches, but you really end up broke. Uh, we don't want any of that. Uh, the only thing that requires any kind of monetary uh, use here is really anchoring to the Bitcoin blockchain, which is very, very small amounts of Satoshis. And I personally think that a lot of these service providers are going to offer 
most of that for free, you're going to be paying for the stuff that you already pay for today, which is storage, like Google Drive, iOS cloud storage. Everybody pays for that shit. Or if you don't use it a lot, you also get a free tier. So that's kind of how I see that. But I agree. Keep your fucking money. Don't don't you know? Don't waste your money on all, on none of these web number nonsense. Give it to us. Perfect. <laughs> Let's go. Yo, it wouldn't be a kindergarten if we didn't have someone snapping on someone on the show. So, guys, if you don't have any more questions or comments for Leron, forever hold your peace because we're going to we're going to let his time be more valuable than us wasting it on Bitcoin kindergarten. But I will host a space afterwards, guys. So, know that we'll be around for a minute. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm leaving now. Bye-bye. Perfect. And keep your house clean. Exactly. Okay, Walton, what's good, dude? Comments or questions? Oh, Decode, what's up? Okay, we got some questions or comments. D3Code, comments or questions? Um, I just want to say thank you for the nerd episode. It was uh, very nice to listen to it and not just listen to, like, gibberish sometimes you know <laughs> as much as I like that and yeah thanks for uh, also pinning my tweet shout out walton and tc tc's not in here and i didn't even have to spam the nest this time you know i slid into dms and they fucking posted it so shout out for that too we got you bro we realize that we can't give you guys just all complete gossip and left side of the bell curve content. We got to hit you guys with some some pure signals. So this is what we're doing. Walton, do you have questions okay, or so, comments? Yeah, now, now that we've talked about Web 5, when Web 6? Web 6 never. You know, this is oh, the, the Web 5 thing is such a meme. I, I love it. I think that it's it's really talking shit to all these um, shit coiners that try to to monetize you know just idiots by by putting numbers next to the web this is just the web it's, it's just the decentralized web so there's going to always be a continuous uh you know goal to work towards although i am personally partial to web 69 you know i hope that maybe yeah, web maybe, six through nine like and then what about 21 web, web 420 is going to be a big thing web you know, 21 web that's a good one that's a good one yeah, so I think I think from now on, all the digits just are include. We're inclusive. You know, we're very inclusive here. Web Omega. Sounds a bit rainbow. <laughs> all right, guys. <laughs> all right, all right. Before we waste all all your time, because you're here for what is Web Five, uh, Leron, tell the people where they can follow you, where they can find your stuff, and we'll roll this one out tonight. So you can follow me on Twitter, it's Liron, and uh, you can find me on GitHub, Liron Cohen on GitHub. Uh, although I don't have some a lot of this stuff public yet, uh, the company that I started, that's just me at the time, it's called 13X, and so we're going to be publishing some stuff in the next. Uh, well, I'm going to be publishing some stuff in the next uh, couple of months, so look out for it. Awesome, awesome guys. Well, let's get some horns. We get some bars and some applause, guys. So you already know this Optimus Field, this was Bitcoin Kindergarten. As I said a minute ago, I know we give you guys real low left side of the bell curve content sometimes, but that's what you guys want. 
but we also realize we need to give you signals. So we will continue to get real nerdy and hopefully break it down for you guys. So you guys get that pure signal. Sometimes we need to do tech talk on Bitcoin kindergarten. So we will do it for you guys until then. This is Optimus fields. I was here with my co-host Wynikus. We are Bitcoin kindergarten. We do this every Wednesday night, 9 PM. Actually next week, next week we might do a Euro time. I will not confirm whether or not we have an awesome guest for you, but we have some things in the works. So look out for a Euro time. It might be in the midday. Uh, you know, it's kindergarten. It's kindergarten. So don't hold us to it, but we should have you an awesome guest next week. Look out for it. It'll be like midday. Actually, it's early morning. It's pretty early morning, but again, guys, we love you. Hang out in spaces. I'll be here for a minute. Until next time, we are out. And of course, of course, of course. Oh, wow. Actually, wine. Before I forget, there's two things I need to do before. Did we get any messages? We got one. Okay. Go on. This week's ship posting as a service brought to you by Labra Hoddle. Our one tip was for 500 Satoshis with no message or comment left. It's a bear market confirmed. <laughs> Let's go. Okay. Awesome. 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 Well, hey, it is what it is. Whoever it is you are out there that scammed yourself of 500 sats, we appreciate it. Wynikus will use it for harkers and pupusas, even though he's not in El Salvador. But of course, of course, of course, we got a message from our sponsor before we go. This is our boy. You already know it's coming. I'm going to break the silence with some. But, but, but. Here we go. You're against Bitcoin. You're against freedom. What's the second best? There is no second best. It's going up forever, Laura. All right, guys, I love you. I will see you next time. Don't you know, pump it up. You got to pump it up. Don't you know.